Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association is the membership organisation that provides support and expert advice to landowners and rural businesses across England and Wales. Pollution of protected rivers, wetlands and coastal habitats by nitrates and phosphates from farmland and sewers in England and Wales has been an issue for many years, but a European court decision in 2018 means that it's now holding up development in dozens of local planning authority areas. The position now is that where Natural England or Natural Resources Wales identify a protected water body as being at risk from nutrient pollution, they will require any development which creates overnight accommodation in the same catchment to demonstrate nutrient neutrality, either by installing on-site mitigation measures or by offsetting through nutrient credits. Anyone seeking to develop land will need to understand the consequences of this issue and the importance of nutrient budgeting. However, it also creates a new natural capital market, enabling some landowners to create nutrient credit banks by entering into long-term land use change agreements to reduce nitrate and phosphate use. In this podcast, we're joined by Kate Russell of TELUS Natural Capital Limited and Fenella Collins, CLA's Head of Planning, who will talk us through the concept of nutrient neutrality, which was introduced to protect designated water bodies at risk of pollution by nitrates or phosphates. Well, welcome, Kate and Fenella. Great to have you on this podcast episode. To start, perhaps you can both give us a very quick introduction to yourselves, um, starting with you, Kate. Thanks, Aled. And uh, hello, uh, my name's Kate Russell. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for TELUS Natural Capital Limited. Uh, we're a consultancy advising farmers and landowners on natural capital and ecosystem services. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Kate. And over to you, Fenella. Yes. Hello, Alid. I'm My name's Fenella Collins. I'm the CLA's Head of Planning um, and I have been involved in the planning arena for many years. Uh, and nutrient neutrality is one of the latest issues that uh, has affected the planning system. Brilliant. Well, it's great to have you both joining us on this episode. And clearly the combined knowledge and expertise uh, uh, between you both is going to be very useful as we navigate uh, this whole world of nutrient neutrality. And Katie, if I can start with you, what is it and why is this so, so important? Right. Well, I think the starting point, Alad, is, is it's worth just noting that we're recording this in late May 2022. It's quite a new area and it's very much likely to develop. So it's important that if you're listening to this at a later date, that you make sure that you're up to date with what's going on and what's happened since May 2022. And also just to clarify that what we're talking about today affects both England and Wales. The position is concerning the catchments of protected water bodies. And by protected water bodies, I mean those which are triple SIs, SACs, um, special areas of conservation, SPAs, uh, special protected areas, or Ramsar sites. Now, where you've got a protected water body under one of those designations, if there's evidence of nutrient pollution from either nitrates or phosphates, then Natural England has got a duty to prevent damage. So what Natural England and Natural Resources Wales are trying to do is to cap the level of nutrient pollution in those affected catchments and by effectively imposing a moratorium on any development which could add to the level of pollution. So they're just trying to make it no worse at the moment. 
clearly that's an interim measure. There are much bigger issues to be tackled. And we know now, recently announced, um, the government has stated in its environmental targets that agriculture is going to have to cut its nitrate, phosphate and sediment pollution of watercourses by 40%. By 2037. So clearly there are bigger concerns and bigger issues being tackled, but this is a very specific tool to cap the level of pollution in those affected watercourses for protected water bodies. And uh, Fenella, tell us a bit more now about what kind of development is affected. Um, well, it's going to affect all development that and I mean all development, that leads to an overnight stay um, because they create wastewater. Uh, And especially if those developments are located in affected river catchments. Um, And as Kate has already said, those are protected as those that are protected as special areas of conservation, special areas of special protection areas or Ramsar sites, which I would just add are wetlands of international importance. Um, So, for example, this means that that housing development, care homes, tourism accommodation, hotels, um, bed and breakfasts, all of those type of uh, development um, will be um, affected by the nutrient neutrality issue because there is wastewater that emerges from those types of developments. Um, it's also going to impact, or is already impacting indeed, on developments through that are emerging through permitted development rights, such as the change of use of farm buildings to dwellings or even to holiday lets. Um, all of these are likely to require the applicant to find a mechanism to mitigate the nutrient loading in the affected river catchment. But I would just add that nutrient neutrality can also affect um, agricultural developments, indeed it already is, um, in affected areas, such as um, expansion of of, of cattle buildings, planning for slurry tanks, chicken or pig rearing. Um, These are generally being dealt with on a case-by-case basis, but there is, to some extent, a moratorium on those types of developments at this stage too. And why has this issue only now come to the fore? Well, in fact, the issue has been around for a long time. Um, The problem of nutrient overloading in river catchments has been around for a a number of years, but it it became more apparent when um, the European Court of Justice made a decision in 2018 regarding uh, a couple of Dutch pig farm cases that were affecting a protected designated site, um, and that was concerning uh, nitrogen runoff. To those sites. Um, and the European Court of Justice ruled that any additional um, nutrient burden to the protected sites that were already in unfavourable condition would not be permissible by law. Um, and the ruling went on to say that any development in respective catchments would have to demonstrate that there would be no likely significant effect from a new development on the downstream protected site. So as a result of that, the UK, who was at that time still a member of the European Union, um, had a legal obligation to consider the impact of new development to avoid exacerbating what is an existing issue. Um, And that is why we are now seeing Natural England and Natural Resources Wales adopting a much more rigorous approach when it comes to assessing the effects of changes in water quality on protected sites. It's worth saying that achieving nutrient neutral development is not going to address an existing problem. But in order to satisfy the habitat regulations, uh, it needs to be established that planning decisions will not make it any worse. Um, So any increase in nutrients is deemed to be significant. However small, 
um, due to the incremental impact. Therefore, small sites can't be screened out from the requirements to achieve nutrient neutrality. The ruling has had an effect on both plans and projects. And so by plans, I mean local plans and projects. That means specific development sites, um, especially in affected catchments. Um, the, as I've already said, the UK was still part of the European Union at the time of the, the European Court of Justice ruling, um, and the 2017 Habitat regulations were amended as a result. But they do place a requirement on planning authorities to assess the environmental impact of projects and plans which affect protected sites. Um, and the requirements of the uh, European Court of Justice decision was transposed into UK law uh, on the 31st of December when the UK left the European Union. Um, and as a result of that, Natural England then issued guidance to a number of planning authorities that it expected habitat regulations assessments to show that the impact of nutrients on protected water bodies had been assessed and that the development would be nutrient neutral. And this is what has caused and is causing the moratorium on development, whilst planning authorities and developers try to understand what it means and how to comply with it. Uh, and Kate, as well as the south of England, have more catchments across England and Wales been affected by these requirements? Yes. Um, over the past three years, it's affected protected water bodies initially in the south of England, including Pool Harbour and the Solent, which covers a huge area, and uh, in Wales, including the rivers Wye and Usk, so really significant um, rivers. 32 planning authorities were notified initially in England and 11 in Wales, ranging in size from city councils to national park authorities. And then in mid-March 2022, Natural England made another announcement uh, notifying another 42 local planning authorities in England that another 20 catchments were going to be subject to the same approach. And there was, there was no real prior warning that this was coming. It was a pretty much an overnight announcement. And certainly the local planning authorities didn't know it was coming uh, when, it, when it was announced. And that new list includes some really big catchments, including the River Eden SAC in Cumbria, the Teesmouth and Cleveland Coast SPA Ramsar site uh, in the northeast. And the combined catchments of those two almost extend coast to coast across Cumbria, County Durham, Middlesbrough, and then further south, we've got the River Wensum SAC, parts of the Norfolk Broads. The combined catchments of those cover quite a large part of Norfolk. And actually, at the moment, it seems really difficult for the public to get hold of this information. It's gone to the affected local or planning authorities. It doesn't, as at the time of recording, it doesn't yet appear on Natural England's website. And importantly, we don't know whether Natural England or Natural Resources Wales plan to extend this approach to even more catchments in the future. Is there any difference in the way nitrates and phosphates are dealt with? Yes, um, both nitrates and phosphates are pollutants, but the way that they will be managed under these requirements is going to differ. Phosphates are acknowledged to be harder to treat. Um, so some of the affected catchments, including ones in Somerset, for example, are devising their own phosphate calculators that they want you to use when you're designing mitigation schemes in those areas. When you look at it overall, more of the catchments have been notified for phosphates than nitrates, although a large number are actually notified for both. And nitrate pollution has been particularly severe in some of the protected marine environments, including the Solent and also the Camel Estuary in Cornwall. So they, they arise from, from 
different areas as well. Wastewater treatment works are more of a, a key source for phosphate pollution. Um, so where agriculture is a, a key issue, that might be more where nitrates are, are affecting matters. And so where it's the wastewater treatment works, that's a problem. You might have a solution that is an engineering solution to try and um, reduce the amount of pollution coming out of the wastewater treatment works or constructed wet, wetlands, for example. Where agriculture is the main source of the pollution, then mitigation strategies might include taking land out of agricultural production so that the amount of nitrates being put onto the land in the catchment is being reduced overall. Fenella, does Natural England provide the tools to deal with this? Natural England and Natural Resources Wales are providing advice to planning authorities, which is what Kate's already referred to. Um, unfortunately, as she's also said, it's extremely difficult to get hold of that information from their, their websites. I do know that Natural Resources Wales are in the process of updating their advice, and I'm hoping that that will figure on their website. There is a policy paper on the gov.uk website, about nutrient neutrality, but it doesn't deal with specifics. Um, it's entitled Nutrient Pollution Reducing the Impact on Protected Sites. And there is, in fact, a, a blog from the Natural England director with responsibility for this matter, and she's written a blog about it, and that you can find on the Natural England website. But the specific advice that Natural England published, for example, uh, recently, you have to go hunting for, and I have it. We we now have a copy of that, and and that will form part of the revised CLA guidance note. But um, I think that it's interest. It it's useful to say that 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 those local authorities that have just recently been notified. Um, haven't had time to respond to this yet and don't have the staff with the necessary knowledge or resources um, because suddenly there's a very big demand for quite specific skills. I mean, I heard of one local authority yesterday that is uh, is saying that it's going into isolation for six weeks whilst they, they teach their staff how to deal with nutrient neutrality. I mean, this is the scale of the issue that we're all dealing with. But we, we, can, ha we can learn from what has been happening elsewhere. I mean, the Solent and Cornwall and Somerset levels and Kent uh, in the south, there is, a, there is a great deal of expertise now that has emerged from those areas. So we can learn about that. But even there, there are some local authorities, the smaller local authorities, which are still struggling to provide advice. Um, and, you know, uh, planning applications are stuck whilst they actually produce their advice. I, I have one uh, shepherd's hut that's aimed at tourist accommodation that has been stuck in the system for two years whilst we wait for this type of advice to, to emerge. That said, there is a lot of information on each of affected local authority website, um, and, and it's always worth looking at that. And if a CLA member has a potential development in one of the affected catchments, how should they approach this? And is there anything they can do to prevent the development effectively? being mothballed. This impacts on development, which will add to nutrient pollution, and usually that which adds additional overnight accommodation, whether in permanent housing or tourism or student accommodation. I would just say that commercial developments such as warehouses or offices are not included in this at this stage, but there is some industrial development that is affected. Um, but I think that for, for a developer who is who may think they have uh, a development site in an affected location, they need to know, you need to know whether your development site is located in an affected catchment. Um, I think the first the first thing to do is always to look at the local authority website for their guidance on nutrient neutrality. Um, that is the first point uh, of call. The second thing to do, um, if you're not sure whether your development site is in an affected uh, catchment area, is to check 
um, on the gov.uk magic website, um, which is a series of, of, of maps. Um, and you can put your postcode in and it will give you an indication um, to find out if the proposed development is located in or close to a protected nature conservation site. Um, and the, the gov.uk website does cover England and Wales, so it's particularly useful for everybody um, in, in both uh, England and Wales. Then I think that, as Kate has already mentioned, it's, 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 if you do believe that your development is going to be affected, you need to use the nutrient neutrality budget calculator. Um, and if your, web, if your catchment might um, be affected by both phosphate and nitrate pollution, then you might have to use the calculator twice to get both calculations out of the other end. The only problem I have with the nutrient budget calculators is it doesn't help you with mitigation. So then you have to go and try and understand how to secure mitigation um, to achieve a development that is nutrient neutral. But in the long term, is there a technological solution whereby package treatment units for sewage can be designed such that they, they remove or treat the nutrients at the source? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I certainly think the government recognises that the current attempts to deal with nutrient um, neutrality is only a temporary measure and that longer term solutions are needed. Um, and that's one of the reasons why water companies and agricultural uh, and agriculture are being targeted to reduce levels of pollution. Um, and I know that local authorities are looking at their own uh, mechanisms for improving water efficiency and improvements to council-owned package treatment plants. But for developers, yes, um, other mitigation strategies that may be considered um, include on-site measures such as sustainable urban drainage systems, which can be, which can also be retrofitted into existing developments. Um, and it's worth checking the local plan for what the local plan policies are for sustainable urban drainage systems, as these will, I think, will provide some indication as to what needs to happen to a development in order to deal with water runoff. Developers can look at replacing inefficient package treatment plants and septic tanks, um, I mean, in, for some small scale proposals that intend to use septic tanks or package treatment plants, there is a little bit of hope um, because Somerset, for example, Somerset, uh, the Somerset Ecology Service at Somerset County Council, in collaboration with Natural England, sets out thresholds where these means of disposing of foul water would be considered to cause insignificant amounts of phosphorus to discharge to the ground. And in those cases, it if, if they believe that it may not have a likely significant effect, um, then that type of development um, might pass a habitats regulation assessment more quickly. Other types of mitigation measures including, include agricultural land use change, so for example, changing from intensive agriculture to woodland or permanent pasture. There are mechanisms around treatment of wetlands and um, using interceptor wetlands for agriculture uh, runoff. Some county-wide ecology services are working on county-wide nutrient strategies to identify both short-term solutions to help currently undetermined planning applications that are stuck in the backlog and prior approval applications. And longer-term solutions uh, are, around, uh, are, being, are emerging to address existing and future development allocations and growth commitments. Country Land and Business Association have been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. We lobby government continually on behalf of our members to give them the security and certainty to invest in their land and business. Our in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and rural business management to ensure the positive development of the rural economy.
So Kate, what about off-site mitigation? Are there any opportunities for landowners here? Potentially, yes, there are. Uh, if the development can't be made nutrient-neutral on-site using the kind of technologies that Fenella was just outlining, the developer's going to need to reduce nutrient loading elsewhere in the catchment in order to achieve neutrality. And one option then is to use what has become known as a nutrient credit bank where a landowner offers long-term land use change to reduce or stop altogether the use of nitrates and phosphates on the land. That then allows the the captured nitrates and phosphates that would have been used on, on the farming enterprise to be offset against the development elsewhere so that overall there's no more uh, nitrates and phosphates in that catchment. That that might mean that the land use has to change from um, intensive agriculture to, to very extensive, or it might mean stopping agricultural use altogether to create wetland or woodland, for example. And clearly, that kind of long-term, pretty much permanent land use change is going to mean that landowners have to think very carefully about getting involved in these kind of projects because there will be impacts potentially on the long-term value of the capital value of the land, uh, potentially significant impacts on rental value. There could be impacts on tax reliefs that rely on land staying in active agricultural use. So there is a very big question here about how much money is going to make all of that worthwhile for a landowner to enter into one of these long-term agreements. We will need legally binding contracts. Um, We'll need a before and after nutrient budget, an approved methodology, all of that having to be agreed by Natural England and Natural Resources Wales and the local planning authority. So there's going to be quite a cost involved in setting all of this up and putting the infrastructure in place for it. But some private landowners in other catchments have already started to go down this route. Um, There are landowners in the Solent um, offering nutrient credits from schemes that have restored catchments and subcatchments. The wildlife trusts are also offering uh, nutrient credit banks. They've Hampshire and Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust bought a farm on the Isle of Wight, stopped farming it in order to sell nutrient credits. And local planning authorities are even getting in on the act. So there are local authorities who've taken their own let farms back in hand in order to turn them into nutrient credit banks by stopping farming. The, the largest scheme really in England at the moment is is the Pool Harbour one. It's the biggest area and nitrates are the issue there. So the focus is very much on the management of slurry and silage effluent from the significant number of dairy farms in that catchment. And important just to remind you that the, the key here is that the mitigation, wherever it's offered, has to be in the same catchment as the development. Because overall, what we're trying to ensure is that there is no more nutrient going into the water body before than there is um, after than there is before, I beg your pardon. Uh, so the, the mitigation has to be in the same catchment. That's the priority. And Fenella, am I right in thinking that the requirement to protect Ramsar sites, SACs and SPAs, will lead to housing development being blocked, not just on water quality issues, but also for fear of increased people pressure on these special sites as has happened in the children's area of outstanding natural beauty. Um, Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, The habitat regulations are concerned with whether 
a plan or project is likely to have a significant effect on a protected site. So this, 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 this issue isn't just about water quality. Um, it's also about air quality and also, um, as you've said, re recreational purpose, people pressure. Um, and there are, in fact, development moratoria in place already around, um, for example, um, Ashdown Forest in Sussex, Epping Forest north of London, uh, which, both of which are affected by um, nitrous oxide from car exhaust fumes. And also around, for example, the Thames Basin Heathland in, in Hampshire and Surrey, and more recently, the Chiltern Beaches in the Chilterns, to protect from recreational pressures. And there are different types of mitigation measures. Over the latter two, for the Chilterns and, and the Thames Basin Heathland, for example, um, developers are, are, are required to provide sites of alternative natural green space to try and encourage people to recreate away from the protected areas. And, and as far as, as, as reducing nitrous uh, car exhaust fumes, well, uh, you cannot develop um, around Ashdown Forest uh, within seven kilometers of Ashdown Forest, for example. So yes, um, it, it, it is, it's not just about water, it's about air um, and people. Um, and we're likely to see much more use of this tool being made to mitigate all kinds of impacts on developments, which in the long run is having, is making it all much harder for the government to, to meet its, its housing targets. Um, but equally, it's making it much more difficult for CLA members to be able to diversify their farming businesses away from from agriculture to finding other alternative sources of income from tourism. So it's having an effect across the board. And just to conclude, I have a question for both of you. What should landowners do next? Kate, if I can start with you and then we'll come to you, Fenella. But what should landowners do next? Yes. Uh, thanks, Alad. So I think, first of all, you need to know whether you're in an affected catchment. So check with your local planning authority or, or ask your planning advisor. If you are considering putting land forward for development, in an affected catchment, discuss nutrient neutrality with the development partners early on. Understand the issues, understand the budgeting process and understand what kind of mitigation measures might be needed. Because as a landowner, you can be in the unique position of being able to offer the mitigation solution as well, potentially. There will be op opportunities to do that if you are prepared to consider what is effectively permanent land use change. and. You know, it is, I can't stress too much, important to understand the full consequences of what that would mean and the full costs of what it will take to deliver it. And Fenella, what are your concluding thoughts? Well, I would just say that this is a very technical issue and it's not one that is going to go away soon. Um, there is a cross-government department working group um, that is working on this permanently to try and um, work out the best way forward to deal with both the issue, the nutrient neutrality issue, um, but equally how to deliver housing development. And it's it's a matter of, as, as we've said earlier on, it's a matter of watching this space. We're awaiting a couple of uh, Court of Appeal decisions uh, concerning the lawfulness of, 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 of the original guidance in respect of nutrient neutrality, especially in respect of development in the Solent. But there's another uh, Court of Appeal decision that we await uh, concerning the expansion of the cattle building um, in, a, in an affected uh, catchment area. And I think that these decisions may have an impact on the advice that has been provided by both Natural England and Natural Resources Wales. So it is important to... Uh, always check with the planning authority website. Um, the CLA guidance note will be up on the website uh, in due course. 
with as much of, of, of the updated guidance as we can provide. As I say, it's not an issue that's going to go away quickly. No, absolutely. Well, Kate Russell and Fenella Collins, thank you both ever so much for joining this podcast episode. I'm sure for many, it's deeply frustrating for those who are wanting to realise some development, but there might be opportunities, opportunities for innovation, opportunities for landowners with offsetting as well. But thank you both once again, a fascinating episode for the podcast. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode.